Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Thanks, Hannah. <clears throat> oh, um, well, I'm excited just to spend some time reflecting on that passage tonight. Um, thank you so much for your introduction. And um, it's such a powerful image of that light in the darkness that we saw last week. And the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, that, that the light that Jesus, the flesh, the, the human being, God, dwelling amongst us. Um, it's such a powerful image. Um, tonight, we are looking at um, the idea of the chosen one. Um, it's wild. And of all things, yesterday I was in an art gallery. We don't do that very often, but we just happened to be. And I saw a quote and I was like, oh, that's fitting. There's an introduction to my sermon. Thank you, Jesus. Um, uh, okay, I'm going to read a quote for you. And if you know who it is, just stay silent because um, I don't want to give it away. But we'll work it out who it is together. Um, okay. The challenge is to work out who said it and who it's about. He, that's a male, he is the bridge between the East and the West. I don't know yet what exact form this will take, but he is the chosen one. He will have the power to impact nations, not people, nations. The world is just getting a taste of his power. Does anyone know who that quote was said about? No? Okay, 20 questions time. <laughs> this is how it works. You have 20 questions. Um, I can answer yes or no, um, and we have to narrow it down to work out who said it and who it was said about. Um, does that make sense? 
So you just have to ask, yeah, questions that narrow down so eventually. are we 20 questioning who said it or who both. it's about first? Both. Oh, both. Are both at the same time. Each. Okay, here we go. Okay. Is the subject of the quote a living person? Yes. Yes. The chosen one is alive. Are they from America? Yes, they are from America. No, they, they are a not a president. Sorry? Were they a president? No, they, they were not a president. Hang on. Are they an artist? The, the subject. The subject is not an artist. Yes. <laughs> we're done. To, we've, done, we've done five. Who is the chosen one? The one who bridges east and west. The chosen one is not a technocrat. <laughs> Who else do we worship in society? Celebrity. Is it a celebrity? It is most certainly a celebrity. We've done seven. Is it a um, sports? It is oh, a sports person. Do we think we have it in eight? Michael Jordan? It's not no. Michael Jordan. Not Michael oh, Jordan, but good. It's not LeBron James. Who is the chosen one? Who is the chosen one? It's not Usain Bolt. Are they? Do they play in a team sport? It is certainly not a team sport. Did they meet North Korean? No. No. Oh, they might have. They might have. <laughs> but it wasn't a big publicity thing. Is it a female? It's not a female. It's a male. Did he cheat on his wife? He most certainly cheated oh, on his no. wife. <laughs> we can say who it is if, we, if we've got it. We think we've got it. I think I know. It is Tiger Woods. Oh, Tiger Woods is the chosen one. Does anyone want to hazard a guess who said it? It was! Well done! <laughs> well done! His father declared that he was the chosen one. He is the one who bridges the East and the West. There we go. Doesn't life make sense? Can you read the quote? Let me reread it for you. Yep. Um, I'll read it in full. Um, uh, your son will have, the, quest, the question was, your son will have more influence and more impact than Nelson Mandela, more than Gandhi, more than Buddha? Yes, because he has a larger forum than any of them, because he's playing a sport that is international, uh, because he's qualified through his ethnicity to accomplish miracles. He's the bridge between East and West. There's no limit because he has the guidance. I don't know yet what exactly, what form that will take, but he is the chosen one. He will have power to impact nations, not people, nations. The world is just getting a taste of his power. What a letdown. Yeah. What a <laughs> that chosen one. He came and he went and he wasn't that great. Um, I, think, um, I think he tapped into human psyche, though, in a really interesting way, though, to say um, the world needs a chosen one. Like, we need a saviour. 
And we need someone who lifts us up out of our mundane existence of day-to-day grind and uh, someone who gives us some sort of image and unity and who can draw us together. I think it's a really deep part of the human psyche that he tapped in on. And lo and behold, look how far Tiger Woods went. Like, he just achieved so much because he was driven. And Tiger Woods... From my understanding, having read a little bit around it, he was driven by this idea that he actually had to be the chosen one. Um, It was placed on him as such a burden that he thought he had to be the one to actually rescue the world. Um, We're in this passage tonight, um, and in it, John declares at the very end, this is John the Baptist, not the author, John the Baptist, two different figures, um, I have seen and I testify that this is the chosen one, Um, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Messiah, or in Greek, the Christos. He's the one who is anointed, who is coming. Um, And as we we go through this passage, I want to check out six different questions for you. Um, And some of these will be particularly relevant, perhaps, for some of you. Some of them will be totally irrelevant. I think they're relevant at different times in life and different life stages. So hopefully if I go like shotgun approach, one of them will hit the target for you. Um, Six different ideas, but in order to get there, we have to um, cast our minds back um, before any of us were born to uh, Israel under Roman rule in the first century. Um, So we're going to have a little thought experiment and we're just going to journey through the passage. Sound good? Let's do it. Um, So, um, we, as an Israelite nation, uh, the Hebrews, the the Jewish people, uh, we've essentially been stripped of all autonomy. Uh, The Roman Empire, about a hundred years ago, swooped in and overthrew another oppressor, the Greeks. Uh, And hey, they they weren't that much better. Uh, The Romans treat us essentially like slaves often. Uh, they, they have the rights, the Roman citizens have the rights. We, we don't have the same rights unless we were born into a supreme upper class. Uh, and let's face it, we are living in subjectivity. Uh, essentially, we are in the exile that God promised, promised over and over again in our Hebrew scriptures. Uh, if, if we disobey God, God will remove his blessing and he will give us what we desire. If we walk away from God, he will say, okay, well, I I won't continue forcing myself upon you. I I will let you have your way and you will go into exile. Um, And that's taken place. Um, And as though the experience of that that tragedy of being um, oppressed for hundreds of years isn't bad enough, uh, there is a greater tragedy for us. Uh, There's a greater tragedy for the Israelite nation. Um, And that is... Uh, For 400 years, God has been totally silent. Radio silence from Yahweh, the the creator who we call God. Um, Malachi, the the last prophet that we actually had to live, 420 years ago, he died. Um, And since then, there has been no burning bushes, no pillars of smoke or pillars of cloud. Um, There's been no prophet that God has descended on to lead us. Uh, We're essentially blinded, walking in the darkness, crying for light. Does that ring any bells? Uh, This is us as a nation, not just individuals. That's where we're at for 400 years. In in the future, they'll call it the intertestamental period. The New Testament is yet to be written. 
uh, we're, we're here in the darkness. And that, that's where we find ourselves. Um, and all that we can do is wait. Wait for this Messiah, this Messiah, to actually arrive. Um, now, sure, there have been the odd uprising against the Roman Empire. Um, in fact, just a, just a couple of months ago, a bunch of zealots rose up and attempted to storm the centurion's barricades, but they're no match for the accuracy of the centurion's blade. They just get annihilated. And for weeks, the road to Damascus is lined with crucifix, crucifix uh, people who have been killed. Um, they were the, the ones who charged against the empire and failed yet again. And so these messiahs, these little chosen ones, they come and they go. And all that we can do is wait. And we wait. And, we wait. and for 400 years we have been waiting, waiting for God to finally break his silence and speak. Into the story that we read tonight, uh, a delegation of priests are sent. Uh, and these priests and Levites have been waiting for hundreds of years for signs of God moving. Um, and often, often when we read this passage, I don't know about you, but when I, when I initially read it, um, the priests are the bad guys. They're kind of the anti-heroes who come to John the Baptist and they're like, you, why are you baptizing with water? Um, John's like, uh. um, And the, we see them as the, the ones, the foil to the good guy, I guess. Um, I, I guess I just want to challenge that a little bit and say, actually, no, I think, I think these guys, oh, sorry. Um, I, think, I think these guys are curious. I think these, these priests, this delegation of priests, are eager because they've been waiting for so long. And waiting is not a sign of lack of faith. Uh, waiting for God to move is a sign of faith, I would have thought. Um, and so the first question that I have, and I guess in some sense it's a posture, um, a posture of waiting. Um, and I just want us to reflect for a moment. I'm going to give you 20-odd seconds to ask yourself the question in your life, uh, in your life in 21st century Sydney, uh, what are you waiting on God for? Uh, what is it in your world that you are that you're longing for God to do? What is the promise of God that He has offered that you're you're waiting on? I'm going to give you 20 seconds just to reflect on the the idea that hey, as Christians, we wait for God. Let me take us back to Jerusalem. Uh, rumors of movement are beginning to stir. Um, there's a curious rumor that has broken out. Uh, they say that a few decades ago, about 30 years ago, a prophecy was fulfilled. Uh, some shepherds in a field and some strange rulers from the east started saying bizarre things about an anointed king who had been born. 
Uh, this rumour made its way up through the rumour mill to King Herod and we know the tragedy that took place when he found out that somebody had come to actually claim his kingship. Rumours had broken out that, hey, maybe, maybe God has started moving. Maybe in our radio silence that we have experienced for generations, the God of the Jews has actually begun speaking again. And you can picture the high priest of the temple uh, presiding over the newly renovated courtyard that the Romans had offered us. Uh, and in this temple, there was, there was much bustle, hustle and bustle. There was, there was many people coming and going, but there was very little God taking place in this temple. Uh, and as, as the high priest presides over this temple, he hears this rumour that something is stirring and his heart skips a beat and he thinks, is this God? And he hears of a man who is baptizing. And so the second posture that I want us to think about tonight is what does it mean to actually be listening to God? Um, in our day and age, in the busyness of our world, um, in the chaos that is our lives, what does it mean to actually stop and be aware of what God is doing. Um, where do you hear God moving, I guess, is the question. Where do you hear God moving? Is it possible for you to hear God moving in your current lifestyle? Um, do you have times of silence where you sit with Scripture, sit with God's people and meditate on what is going on? So, my question to reflect on is... Where do you hear God moving? to Jerusalem. Are you the Messiah? They ask. And John flat out refuses to say yes. No, I'm not the Messiah. The Messiah is the one we're waiting for though. Are you Elijah? They ask. After all, uh, Elijah had been taken up by God into heaven and had been promised that at the end of days, before the great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah would return and proclaim the day of the Lord. Are you like, no, no, John says, I'm not Elijah. Are you the prophet, they ask, uh, that prophet who's been promised way back in Deuteronomy, a prophet in the line of Moses, uh, someone who has come and announced the end of days. And again, John says, no. I'm not the prophet. This delegation of priests, um, they weren't simply waiting passively. Um, and they'd gone beyond just listening. And you get the impression that they've gone into the realm of seeking. Seeking to understand where God is moving, what God is doing. And they have sought John the Baptist out. Because they've heard that something is taking place. And they get the sense that God is in it. God's there. So, there's the question. Where are you seeking God 
in your daily rhythms, in your rituals, how are you, you seeking the movement of God? I think as a church and as individuals, one of our tasks is to be like these priests, to go out into the wilderness to see what God is doing, uh, to wait, to listen, uh, to seek, to discover how God is moving. And in that sense, uh, being the barometer of the spirit in the world. Um, Because what else is a Christian... Or what else are Christians other than a delegation of priests uh, who have been sent out into the wilderness because we've heard rumours of a Messiah? Um, What else are Christians if not those who are waiting for the return of the King? Um, What else are Christians if not those who have heard something of how God is moving um, and who want to join in the renewal of all things? Um, It's a powerful image, isn't it? Um, As the delegation inquires about who John is, the answer that they receive is surprising because um, because I think God is surprising. Um, And they say, give us an answer. They're exasperated. Like, we we have a job to do. We have to go back and report back to our superiors who who you are. And John replies in the words of Isaiah the prophet. This is in 123. John replies in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Um, So in John, what we're reading tonight, the Romans are the overlords. Israel is a suppressed, oppressed nation. Um, Rewind a few centuries and you get Isaiah. um, Very similar situation. Um, And it's not Rome, it's it's Babylon that are there as the overlords. And in that, we, um, we discover that the Israelites have been taken into captivity Um, We in Australia are only really just coming to grips with listening to our Indigenous brothers and sisters, our siblings who are telling us what it means to be connected with the land. Um, For the Israelites, they were forcibly removed from their land and there's this deep tragedy running through the the Hebrew scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. Um, And they've been forced off of it. And between Babylon in the east and Jerusalem in the west is this giant arid wilderness of deserts and mountains and rivers and valleys and there's a few roads that kind of are speckled between it but any any attempt to actually get through necessitates a huge round trip or treacherous paths through the wilderness. Isaiah is proclaiming from Babylon prepare the way of the Lord make straight a highway through the wilderness. In other words, God's coming. God is on the move. Your exile is almost over. And John says in the voice of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight a way of the Lord. The message of John and the message of Isaiah, at this point, there's this huge overlap. And and they're, they're essentially exactly the same thing. And the message is, be prepared. Get ready. Uh, Get ready because God is on the move. Um, In Isaiah, Israel was going to be saved from exile. But in John, it's so much bigger. Verse 29 says, 
that the Lamb of God is going to take away the sins of the world. Uh, This is now a global narrative that John is speaking about. So, the next one is, uh, how do we prepare ourselves to meet Jesus? Um, Day in, day out, how do we prepare our hearts to actually discover more of who God is in Jesus? Um, Because we, we get this story in hindsight. John is saying, prepare, like, get ready. Jesus is about to come. We, we have it in reverse. Um, how are we preparing for God to move? And as John prepares Israel to meet their God, as we prepare ourselves to see how God is moving... It's powerful to look at the posture, I think, that John is taking as he does this. Verse 26. I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am unworthy to untie. And later on, the Baptist, John the Baptist, would say, Jesus, Jesus must increase. I, John the Baptist, I must decrease. Uh, And John the Baptist, some of you will know as you read through the Gospels, ends up losing his life uh, because he consistently proclaims that Jesus' way is the best way. Um, And the image that you get from John is that his posture is one of deep humility. And so the question to reflect on as we look at John's posture is uh, where in your life do you need to humbly step aside and let God be God? Where in your life do you need to humbly step aside and let God be God? And finally, verse 29, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, look, the Lamb of God. Um, John's message is really clear, really simple. Uh, God is doing something new and I saw it with my own eyes. He gave this testimony, verse 32, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain, he is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. And so for John, the natural implication of everything that he has seen is to share what he has actually witnessed, what what he's witnessed. Uh, He has... Uh, he has prepared the nation of Israel. He said, look, this is, this is what I saw. Um, he has humbled himself and said, actually, 
My role in life is to worship Jesus. That's, that's the position that I take because Jesus is the one who takes away the sins of the world. That, that's, that's me. Uh, and because I've seen this, I share. Uh, I share it. Um, so as, as Christians, as, uh, or as a delegation of priests, that's us, isn't it? As a delegation of priests, our role in Sydney, in Australia, is to be those people seeking God, uh, to be waiting for God to move. Like, there's some anticipation there, isn't there? There's, there's this expectation. Say, so, yeah, wow, like, I hope and pray that God moves. And if we apply it, okay, let's, let's apply it to New City, to what we're doing here. Uh, we should be eagerly expecting God to be moving. Uh, we should be eagerly expecting people to be looking at New City and saying, yeah, wow, God is doing something good in that community. Uh, God is bringing about healing. God is bringing about forgiveness. God is bringing about justice and grace. Uh, and then we need to be listening, um, sharing one another's stories, talking to one another, hearing about how God is actually working in our lives and seeking that out, um, not just amongst us, but also in our society. Like, how do we see God move? And then joining those tasks. Um, as we do that, we prepare ourselves. Uh, we constantly sharpen one another, get one another excited. Uh, we worship, we step aside humbly. Uh, and then if we do all this right, if we, I think evangelism is a terrifying prospect for most people. But if we do all this right, in the end, essentially what we do is we just say, yeah, this is what I've seen happening. Um, and that is a deeply attractive thing. Um, because we know that we live in a world of great darkness. We live in a world that is seeking chosen ones. And those chosen ones fail time and time and time again. But if, if Jesus is who he said he is, if he's chalked up and ends up being the right guy, um, what we get to do is just set the table, have people join us and say, look, all I can share is my testimony and that is that I have seen God do cool things. And that's what I'm on board with. Um, so I think that's a really cool vision for, I don't know, my life. Um, I hope that that's something that gets people excited. Uh, John 1, it's a really powerful passage, isn't it? Can I pray for us? Um, God, we long to be people who wait faithfully when there is silence when there is confusion and chaos, still we wait. God, as we wait, we listen. We listen for what you are doing and we seek, we go out to find those, those places that you are moving. And we trust God because we can see it. We trust that you are moving in our midst. We trust that you are drawing New City Church together to be a delegation of priests who are faithful to you, who discover the true Messiah, who are prepared to meet Jesus, who humbly worship, and who then turn around and just say to the world, yeah, Jesus is actually really good. God, we long to be faithful to that calling. God, we want to stop and also recognize that our world feels dark so often. And so we thank you that in Jesus we have a light 
we have a stability, a solid rock. God, we praise you for that. We thank you most of all for Jesus. God, we lift up ourselves before you. Pray all these things for his name. Amen.